Hey everybody, this is Brother Frank, and welcome to another episode of The Remnant Call. I'm excited tonight for this episode because I have my earthly father with me tonight, also Brother Frank. Uh, he's junior, I'm the third, and senior passed away some years back. So uh, I'm glad to have Dad here tonight, and um, we're going to share something that's uh, near and dear to Dad's heart, also to my heart. And we believe is one of the biggest barriers that people are facing today to keep them from understanding where we are on this timeline uh, in our journey with the Lord, the timeline of the earth's history and the things that are going on. Because if they understood, they would be screaming from the rooftops to prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. But instead, we see the opposite so often. Let's pray, Father, in the name above every name, Yeshua, Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you are blessing us, Lord, with this knowledge of where we are in time. Now, Lord, I ask, though, that we don't just simply understand the knowledge, but we do something with it in our own preparation spiritually, Lord, that we we take this matter to you on our knees so that we may hear clearly and be willing to allow our own selfish desires to not taint the understanding that you are trying so desperately for your body of believers to receive in this hour. Father, may this program be uh, edifying and you be lifted up and you alone, Lord, that you would draw all men and women to you, Father. I pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, I remember one time a pastor told me, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that scare me. It's the things that I do. And that always reminds me of this verse. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Meaning that you can be so guaranteed, so sure that you are walking in the right way. You are doing the right thing. Your, your biblical interpretation is so correct. Your understanding of eschatology is so on point. Your understanding of the times of everything is, is the right thing, only to find out in the end that you were completely wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a scary verse. That's a verse that should make you want to think about where you are in the Lord, because we cannot, the Bible's clear, we are not to lean unto our own understanding. You know, and it's interesting, whenever the Bible repeats itself, that means it is something very serious and to be understood and taken seriously. Now, I had read from you from Proverbs 14, 12. But if you turn over to Proverbs 16, 25, listen to what it says again. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That repeating is trying to get a message through that is very important for this hour. And the where we want to go tonight, and I'm going to bring dad on here in just a second, is 
to not only the events, obviously, that are going on. We, we see, I, I've seen the book of Zechariah um, awakened like I've never seen it before right now. I'm seeing the whole world gathering together against Jerusalem. I, I'm seeing all these things. We're seeing the assembling of the right players for Ezekiel 38. We're seeing the all the things that we've we've knew were coming. We're now seeing them beginning to take place, but at the same time, we are seeing a world, or at least in the, from the United States, that seems to be absent of this knowledge. For example, why isn't the news reporting, prepare you the way of the Lord? Why aren't the congressmen up there understanding? Why aren't pastors, many of them, shouting from the pulpits, to get ready and prepare the way of the Lord. The reason is a very simple topic, subject, uh, unfortunately, um, a way of life for so many of us, and that's pride. And so I want to bring on Dad tonight to talk a little bit about this subject, because the Bible says this very clearly. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Most people quote that verse wrong. They say pride goes before the fall. That's not what it says. It says pride goes before the destruction. Now, when you look at that verse very clearly, as we're getting into this, it says the lead, the thing that leads so often to destruction is pride. And if pride leads to destruction, then that means somehow pride has blocked us from understanding what the destruction is that's coming. So I'm going to bring you in here with us. Pride is something that you have not only dealt with uh, yourself, just such as I have, you know, we both have. Yes. But also it was Brother Benjamin's book that really caused you to re-examine um, the pride issue in your own life. That's right. In the first section of the book, uh, if I recall correctly, this is the matters of the heart. And this is the first volume of Search the Scriptures. But I, I must say that it's the only book that I've ever read that spent 50 pages, almost to the, to the exact number, helping me to see pridefulness in my life in many areas that I didn't even know I had. And I'd, I'd like to tell you a, a quick story right off. I was in school, and I was on a, a rotation, a medical rotation, and um, I was in the emergency room working. And I was working with uh, some really, really uh, excellent physicians, which you could tell by the way that they handled things and the patients. And I remember I was being reviewed as a, uh, I was being given a review of my time as a student uh, before I left that rotation. And the doctor said to me, Frank, you're very good at what you do. And if I was in private practice, I would hire you. But I have one thing that I need to bring to your attention. And I think it's something that you should address. She said, Nobody can tell you anything unless you let them. And I thought about that. I sat there very quietly, and I didn't say much. And as I left, and I took, I'm a slow learner at times, I found out, I began to mull that over in my mind day after day, week after week for, for several years, and I still didn't get it. 
What I'm trying to say is that this is, uh, pridefulness is so insidious. And before I say anything else, I want to say this. Pridefulness trumps God. It stands in the way of so much of what he wants to give us and helps us, wants us to, to know and to empower us more to follow him and to be like Christ. Pridefulness is one of the most massive roadblocks in the Christian walk that you can have because it is, is in so many parts of our lives. Dad, I, you have a story I'd like for you to share here in a little bit about an event that took place back in West Virginia years ago when we lived back there. Um, but I, I want to ask you kind of a couple questions, folks. And I know you probably think you understand about pride. You're sure you deal with it. But, folks, I'm, we're talking about this tonight because this is one single topic that can absolutely ruin every single thing you're doing for the Lord because it has so many blockers in it. Dad, just as a quick, and this is something you, you know, 20 in 1999, I had my life changing experience. Uh, I was always raised a certain way. I was taught the Bible, uh, things a certain way. Now I didn't pay a lot of attention and maybe that was somewhat of a good thing, but I was taught things. And then I began to read the Bible on my own. And dad, I remember I came to you one day and, and we won't get in depth of this, but I was talking about something in Zechariah. I think it was in chapter 14. And you and I had always been taught um, going back generations, I'm sure, that things would happen a certain way. And I remember I said to you, dad, what do we do with this scripture? Because it kind of wrecked our understanding. Um of the of the end times of, of a certain particular event. I'm not going to get into it right now. And I remember you said back to me, son, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, I appreciate that, dad, because I've asked that same thing at the time to people, you know, raised in our faith that we were ra- I was raised in John, yes. and people I knew and their answer would be very adamant, but the only way it could be adamant is if they ignored that scripture. Right. And we realized that pride was blocking our understanding of the Bible. Yes. So, and when I say pride's under blocking the understanding, a dad, my dad has been the uh, rep- has been the receiver of a of uh, visits by leadership in the past. I won't go into that um, because he dared to bring up topics that were not according to the mainstream. And and so, Dad, I've always appreciated that. Um, but it has truly, don't you think, Dad, affected Bible study? But seems like once we finally got past that barrier by God's grace, the word came alive, didn't it? Yes, it, it, it really did. And I, and I want to, before I say anything else about that, when Frank said about receiving a visit from the leadership, I, uh, I want to say that even standing on a point that you think is different, that it, in other words, the interpretation is different than what most people feel, even that, you can become prideful in your thinking. So you must always take everything. I learned this the hard way. I spent 
Uh, I'm 70 years old. I spent um, at least 50 years very prideful, and most of the time did not know it. But you have to be careful because the only way to receive, according to the Word, the only way to receive proper interpretation of the Scriptures is by the Holy Spirit revealing the deeper understanding to you. In fact, it says that you can only understand the things of God by the Holy Spirit. So you have to be very careful. But yes, um, going going uh, against what's maybe I shouldn't say against speaking or asking questions about something and uh, seeing it a different way is not bad. We take it to the Lord. You know, the, the point he's talking about, I had to pray about this uh, quite, a, quite a bit. And, I began, and what I came out of the prayer with understanding was that, no, what I'd been taught wasn't right, but I still don't fully understand it. I'm okay with that because I'm going to continue to put that in the Holy Spirit's hands to show me. Absolutely. So, Dad, do you think that pride hinders um, the voice of the Lord in your life? Oh, absolutely. In fact, any time that you read something from God and you feel that you see it differently, that you have a better interpretation, that alone is pridefulness. Yeah. Very prideful. And, and, I, and let me throw in here this. I had read about humility and being humble and uh, a lot in my Christian life. I had heard about humility. I've often heard people talk about being humble, and in the discussion, they take their own self and they lower themselves down. And, and in their speaking, they degrade themselves to having almost no value. You know, I'm nothing but a worm. I realized in reading the scriptures that that was not the way the Lord intended it. I actually went on a little mission to understand the word humility, and I read everything secular, everything uh, um, uh, spiritual that I could find on this, of course, in, including the word. And I came to what I believe at this point in time is the actual meaning of humility, Humility is not lowering yourself. It is lifting other people up, up to God, up to Christ, maybe to a person who needs help and they know what to do. It's not lowering yourself. It's lifting others up. That is humility. Mm. And that's how we build faith and courage and strength in others because the Lord gives us the ability to lift up people. It's not lowering yourself. I think, in my opinion, we have to get out of that mindset. We can become more valuable to people, and I have found it to be true in my own experience. Interesting, yeah. You're right. The Bible talks about if each one of us would see the other greater than ourself, was that in Philippians, I believe, um, you know, we would there would be no problems. If we would, it says esteem one another greater than ourselves, I believe is what it says I, without turning to the verse. Yes. And you're right that you don't need to necessarily lower yourself, but lift them up. That's right. Greater. Lift God up. You know, that's a big problem that pride presents is the, is how big is God in your life? Yes. And that's a big thing people struggle with because I find so often in modern day Christianity, there is so many excuses or, or reasons why they can't do something. Uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, 
paying tithe, giving the Lord 10% back plus more. And I'm not saying you have to give it to a church. I'm saying, but give it to the Lord. Find a ministry you love. And people say, that's Old Testament. That's I'm like, They'll find an excuse to not do anything, even though the Lord is very specific about opening the storehouses, the windows of heaven to, to throw out a blessing that we cannot even receive. And I guess maybe because it's been so tainted by the modern day prosperity gospel. But to me, giving tithe is simply saying, I trust God more than the arm of the flesh to provide for me in this earth. But I don't, um, don't want to go down that, but I always find so many excuses why that happens. But pride, it affects us. It, it, it actually makes us stingy, I believe, many times. And it keeps us from correction. Yes. Especially biblical correction from the Lord. Yes. Uh, pridefulness is one of those things that um, it sneaks around in your life. It finds a path and when I say it, I mean the influence of Satan, the deceiver. But anyway, pridefulness finds a path in your life, I believe, from my experience, that you're not suspecting at all, and causes you to see yourself as more knowing, more correct, you have it more right than others, and you can be so, come so ingrained in that that when somebody presents to you absolute, clear truth, you look at them as being deceived. Even if it's in the Word, people don't take it as being true. It's, well, they don't understand or they're interpreting it wrong. Instead of doing this, Lord... Uh- you're right. And and I think there's the reason, Dad, personally, I feel like the American church is struggling to see the hour that we're in and the American people is because of the pride of we're the best, we're the greatest, we are the center of the world. There's no way, you know, that's that's just for those Jews. We're just going to escape and fly right out of here type mentality. Uh, we don't, you know, it's the pride is like we're too good for persecution. We're too good for that kind of stuff. And folks, listen, I don't desire persecution one ounce, but who am I to think that I'm better than Christ? I'm better than the Chinese that have suffered under persecution. I'm better. No, I would say, look at the church in America and our, and our pridefulness. And I, and I would say, Lord, show mercy on us for we are deserving Mm -hmm. and and lord i'm asking for your mercy anyways and pride is that thing that is is causing folks right now the world to not prepare for the second coming of jesus christ that's right they and it again pridefulness is so pervasive in our lives that it catches it catches us at every corner and so often we're not suspecting. I'd, I'd like to share a story with you. Yes, please. Can you share that story? This is yeah. a, this is a, a almost. A, it's just amazing when I when I remember this story. This, the back of back in West Virginia, right? Yes. Of the, yes. Um, of a truly prideful. Um, yeah, Dad. Please do share. Okay. We lived up on a hilltop in a housing development, and one morning. Uh, this is in the middle of winter, probably January, I'm guessing. But I left the house in my pickup, 
and we wound down a road coming off the hill down to the main thoroughfare through town. And I was coming down the hill, I saw this fellow walking, and he had on a very, very thin flannel jacket, almost as thin as a shirt. You've probably seen them before, kind of red and white and flannel, but he was walking down there. The temperature was in the low 20s, and there was a little bit of snow blowing. It wasn't any accumulation much. And I'm coming down the hill. I'd seen him walking on the road before. He lived in a in a holler over the hill behind where our housing development was. I kind of had seen him go in and out there. And I'm going down the hill, and he's walking, and I passed him up. I did notice that he had this very thin jacket on. And as I went past him, the Lord spoke to me and said, go back and pick him up. It kind of startled me. The first thing I did is stop the truck and think about what I had heard. It took me a minute to, to, to get a grip of what was happening. And I, so I finally backed back up the hill and I rolled the window down. This is back in the day when there, we didn't have, I didn't have enough money to have a car with electric windows. I had to crank the window down. And uh, I said, uh, you need a ride. And he said, sure. And he hopped in the, in the truck with me. When he got in the truck, I want to ex- ex- describe to you, I know I cannot without you being there adequately, I should say, but I want to tell you that he smelled as bad as anything I could personally remember ever smelling in my life. And I had smelled, you know, the smell of a sewer before and a lot of other bad things, but it was the worst. And when And it just hit me in the face, and I immediately rolled my window down, which I think he probably thought I was crazy because it, the wind was blowing, and it was, like I said, in the low 20s. But we went, I started up, and we went on uh, down the hill, got on the main road, and headed through town. I didn't talk a lot. I found out his name was George. And <clears throat> as we went through town, I asked him, uh, where, where are you heading to? And he said, just going over town. That's all he said. He had a little bit of a speech impediment, but this smell was killing me. At one point, I actually put my head out of the window as we were driving because it was just awful. So we get over town, and we came up to a stoplight, and I said, where would you like me to let you off at? He said, this will be fine. And he got out of of the truck. By the way, he had rolled up his window because it was cold. And as soon as he got out, I said goodbye, and then I leaned over and rolled his window back down. And I drove on to the office. I got to the office, left the windows down on the truck, and I went inside. And I sat at my desk for a long time thinking about what had happened. But end of the day, I headed home and went home that night, um, uh, got in bed. And I was laying there, and I started thinking about George. And all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with emotion which I can't really express what kind of emotion, except that I felt very sick and I was very tearful. And I got out of the bed and I began just tears running down my face. I I, I didn't really understand this much. And I finally, what came out of my mouth is what began a journey for me. I said, Lord, please help me to understand how it is that you love this man. And that's what started it for me. That must have been the Lord leading me in those words. And I'll tell you what, I have, uh, that would have been uh, probably over 35 years ago. And since then, well, I should say, first of all, when I prayed that prayer, 
the Lord, in the moment, he changed me. He covered me with a warmth and a compassion, and I felt a love for George. I should say that I picked up George two or three other times over the time we lived there in Morgantown, and it never smelled bad to me again. Is that is that not wild? He never smelled bad to me again. And and over the years, we moved from there. We've lived now 33 years in North Carolina, but I, um, I so often depend on that prayer. I'll be in a meeting somewhere, and somebody will say something that sounds absolutely ridiculous, and I'll quietly to myself, Lord, please show me how it is that you love this person. It seems so ridiculous. Or when I see somebody else in a, in a, in a, doing something that is, is just detrimental to their life and to their whole family, and I'll say the same thing, show me how it is that you love me. He always answers that prayer in the moment. It has never failed. Amen. I learned that from you years ago, Dad. It's been such a blessing. But there was another incident, too, about the man whose life you had helped make a diagnosis that really dealt with the pride issue out there, uh, the, the man who was so excited about you s- saving his life. Yes. But remember that. Could you share that real quick? Because I think that this was, was a that was kind eye-opener <laughs> later yeah. on, even looking back at it. It still embarrasses you to this day to even think about it. Well, that was a that was very different. This was this is a situation, and I'll explain it in a moment. What happened, which where I began to feel very prideful until I saw what I was doing. Um, his name was Dennis, and he came into he, his wife brought him into the office, and he was um, he was very very confused. And as I he sat on the exam table, I was trying to talk with him. He just kind of grumbled and growled at me. His wife said the doctor has diagnosed him as having Alzheimer's, and uh, I I've got to I don't know what to do. He's getting mean at home, and I just don't know what I can do about it. I said, well, let me examine him and and talk to him. First of all, I couldn't really talk to him. He wouldn't communicate clearly with me, but I examined him and I listened to his neck, along with other things. And I heard some real turbulence in his carotid arteries. And I I told her after I was finished the exam, I said, I believe it may not be Alzheimer's. It may be just a radically reduced blood flow to his brain that is creating all of this. So long story short, I sent him off to the uh, vascular surgeon. They examined, and sure enough, they cleaned out his carotid arteries, and he was his old self. And they came back to the office, and he thanked me. How long me. had he been like that? Oh, it had been going on for a few years. I don't remember exactly how long. But, and they came back, and his wife told me, she says, thank you, thank you for giving my husband his life back, you know. And I, I felt good, you know. I was uh, kind of prideful that I had caught this, you know. I thought, this, this is really great. And he thanked me. And then they left. Well, I'm walking down the street where I lived there in Morgantown, uh, on High Street, and uh, one day, and he walks up to me and takes my hand and gets down on his knees and starts thanking me. And then he takes me by a hand. He had a tight grip. And, and he walked me to people coming down the street and said, this man saved my life. This man saved me. And he started naming my name to them and going on. And, and it was a little embarrassing, but I kind of felt really, really kind of, wow, you know, I, I 
this, look what I did for this guy. We were in a restaurant one time and my wife was in there with me and he comes over to the, and gets down and thanks me again. I mean, he was very thankful. He was sincere. And I was taking it in as though I was the one who did it. First of all, I didn't do the surgery. Secondly, it was by the grace of God that I picked up that he, it might not be Alzheimer's. It might be something else. And I was not long out of school when I did this. The point is, my pridefulness was running deep through my veins at that time. And I'm telling you right now, pridefulness blocks you being able to see what the Lord is doing for you or wants to do for you or for other people. It keeps you from surrendering yourself. It keeps you on a cloud that's a fake, a fake cloud of pridefulness. And that's something you didn't even realize till some years later, thinking back on it, how bad your pride really was. I remember you sharing with me one day about this years ago, and it really broke you down to think of how prideful you were because you, even in the restaurant, he was telling people that you had saved his life. Right. And that's right. And how you felt so good and it made you, you know, that you were so amazing at what you were doing. That's right. That's right. I thought I, I thought I was so much better than I really was. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've always, you know, appreciated and, and that a lot of this searching I remember has really come from when you read Benjamin's book, Search yeah. the Scriptures. Yeah. When I, when I read that, uh, each, it's uh, the way that the book is laid out. Each section in the book, which might be two sections or three sections on a page, each one delves into an aspect of pridefulness. And I didn't know this. I mean, you've, you've heard uh, Brother Benjamin on, on the Remnant Call many times talk about this. And he talks about also how we really grow when we are un, in affliction. And 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 that that and that's so true. We don't seem to learn much whenever things are going well. We don't learn anything when we are walking in pride. Mm-hmm. When life's good, it's good. But when we are walking in pride, we are almost blocked from receiving the Spirit's guidance. I won't say totally, but to a large degree. Yeah, God has to keep knocking, and hopefully, we wake up, folks. The reason we're bringing this up tonight, it might sound just like such a a lame topic, but understanding the sin of pride and the blockers that it puts in our lives. And honestly, the deceitfulness and sneakiness, if that's a word of the, it's so sneaky because so often pride is unrecognizable. That's right. Um, Refusing to allow somebody to help you can often be a, a pride issue. I remember one time uh, years ago, boss of mine, I, my sister-in-law was wanting to help us out, and I w- didn't want to let her, and he just flat out said, do you have a pride issue? <laughs> and I was like, I, maybe I do. I didn't see it. I just I, I thought I was, you know, in a way what I was trying to say is I'm too good for your help. You know, I'm too proud. And, and folks, this is the, uh, honestly, in my opinion, this is why the world is such a disaster is because of pride. 
We're right. We know what's better. You see how they rule us out of Washington? You see how they tell us what to do? You see how they put us into enormous amounts of debt? Because their pride is guiding them. And the leader of pride is the devil. Satan is the one who is driving this force. And if he can get you full of pride, he will block successfully the voice of the Lord in your life that will lead. Because often the voice of the Lord is a very humbling Voice. That's right. And I, I want to mention something else, too. And this may not seem true to you, but you've many times seen people sit in the chair in front of the television, watching the news, and a person and, and, and one person in the room will say, what they really need to do is, whatever it is they say, or they listen to somebody else talking about a subject, and they say, the problem is they don't see it's Pride is so deceptive to us that any time we speak as if we have authority, the Bible calls it words without wisdom. Any time we speak as if we have authority and we really don't know the matters of the situation, believe it or not, we are speaking again out of pridefulness. The only understanding that truly comes certainly on spiritual matters, but really in life, is through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in our heart, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And God did it this way to protect us. He he wants us to come to him. He wants to protect us from the wiles of Satan, because we do not have the power to fight Satan. If you ever hear anybody says, I fight the devil, and they don't add God to the mix— Forget it. They don't know what they're talking about, and they're a great risk. God wants us to come to him with everything. Because remember, he is gathering together a family of people that desire him deeply and know what sin does to the world because of what has happened. He's gathering that family, and you have to have his protection, or Satan will keep you out. Absolutely. Dad, I, you know, for me... um, this is a a topic that that has to be constantly uh, reopened with the Lord and reexamined um, because of the deception and pride. Because that deception is what causes a man to think that he's heading in the right way, only to find, you know, at the end that he's he's completely lost. You know, uh, let me break in for a second. Uh, a, a really favorite pastor of mine, one who I, I feel like I grew a lot under, uh, you know, Pastor Jim, mm-hmm. he, uh, he preached a sermon once, and it, the title of the sermon was Almost Saved. And I don't want to say that, that, you know, salvation is so tricky. No, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your family. The scripture says that. Paul says it very clearly. He also says that you will be saved as long as you don't believe on another gospel later on. It says both of those things. You believe on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, but you must continue to believe in that gospel and not another one. There's a lot of gospels out there. The prosperity gospel, the gospel that God doesn't really kill anybody, The God, you know, it goes on and on and on. But the thing is that, you know, it it is so it is so deceptive i have to personally this is me 
I'm not saying that you experience this this way, but I have to daily, and I do daily, ask the Lord to search my heart for any remnant of pridefulness in me because it was so pervasive in my life, and I didn't know it for most of my life. Mm. Yes, and that pastor that Dad was talking about, uh, who's been retired for being pastor for years now, uh, didn't actually get saved until he was uh, actually post-retirement, wasn't it? He realized that his whole life, that even though he was a very successful pastor, a powerful preacher, that he was trying to get into the kingdom in his own flesh, in his own robe, until he finally decided that he wanted to wear Jesus's robe instead of his own. And it was just a powerful story, um, folks. And, And we're just bringing this up tonight because there's, Dad, you for, you know, always have been up and what's going on in the world, what's going on in the financial system. You know, dad was a PA. Uh, he was not a doctor, just but PAs make decisions like doctors very often. Um, and then dad changed careers much later in life and, and went into another business. But in, in senses does a lot of financial planning and for people and is, and is expert in, in not only spiritual preparedness, but also what to do and how to prepare if you don't have any money. And maybe you want to put a few things there. You know, there are some things you can do. But the the thing that's really the the best part about dad, I mean, from is that dad has grown and transformed um, over all these years. And it's been wonderful uh, to watch, you know, that happen. And, it, you know, and, and, and honestly, I remember this pastor is, to me, I have a, the pastor of my life, you know, Pastor Bob, uh, Pastor Bob Clark. He was the amazing man, died years ago. He always said one thing to me, dad, that I was the greatest thing ever. Um, he said, I'm so glad I never made a plan for my life so that the Lord could lead me where he wanted me to go. Amen. That was powerful. Very powerful. Very powerful. And I always appreciated him because he had he had transformed so much in his life through the power of the gospel and what the Lord had done in his own life and the wisdom he passed on prior to his death was so life changing and and I appreciated it so much. And I believe that tonight as we're closing out this show, folks. That dealing with this pride topic, you know, see, Dad, you, when I was saying about earlier, being up on everything that was going on, and, and especially when finances and, you know, the economy and the state of it and, and the, you know, potential for a collapse at any time, you've recently kind of stopped paying as much attention to the news. Why is that? Well, because uh, despite what I have uh, learned over the years, uh, 2004 was a very pivotal year for me because I learned really the impact that derivatives were having. And I'm not going to go into the subject because it's very detailed. But after that, I became acutely aware to a much greater degree how, uh, how, how I should say, fragile our economy is because for many factors. But recently, I have stopped giving as much attention to it because I, I, I knew it, but I didn't, I didn't take myself in that direction. I knew that if I, what you pay attention to, you know, what you focus on is what dominates your mind. 
and I realized that I was being uh, dominated too much by the financial news. And I realized that, and I know, you know, a lot of people figure this out sooner, but I can't control any of this. But what I can control is the time I spend with the Lord. I can control the time that I give to him. I cannot control any of these other things. Only he can control them. Uh, Well, Satan brings bad influences, and he has his guys, but only God has the final control in all of this. And I spent too much energy paying attention to stuff I couldn't do anything about. Now, I could help people to to be careful and not be careless with their finances, but I can't control any of it. And I really have gotten to the point that I want to have nothing with control of it. I just don't pay as much attention to all of the bad news. I have a lot more peace and a lot less worry. And a lot more Bible study. That's right. More time is for that. That's right. And folks, that Dad doesn't not listen to the news. He absolutely, but he's taken more time to focus on his relationship with the Lord than to focus on what's coming. You know, I remember, I, I don't have it in front of me, we read that. I can that repeat it to you. I know what you're thinking. Prophecy from Brother Demetri Dudeman, the Lord shared with him about getting so wrapped up um, in this end times, not to be aware, but the dangers of it. Yeah, he says, if you, the Lord said, if you will seek my face in righteousness, I will show you the danger coming. But if you focus only on the danger, you will be swept away with the others. Yes, and I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that. Folks, we want to just share this tonight to encourage you. Allow the Lord to search you. You can keep watching everything that's going on. I'm not saying being ignorant. Or you can actually, though, take time to do something about your relationship with the Lord. That is the most important thing. Uh, that you can ever do is make time for God and allow, as dad was talking about, elevate, lift the Lord up. You know, we were saying earlier, how big is God in your life? Is he big enough to tell you what to wear? (laughs) Yeah. Is he big enough to tell you, you know, where to give money to? Sure. Yeah. Is And you know, with Remnant Call, we don't take money. So don't, don't anybody twist the words here. Uh, the other, you know, is he big enough to tell you how to live your life, what not to watch, what, you know, on TV? It, yes, it, but he's also big enough to let you make your own choice. Now, that's a big thing uh, because a lot of us wouldn't do that. For absolutely. People. And pride, you're, you're right, Dad. And pride blocks so often the Lord trying to simply lead us in the right way. You know, if you even, you know, we're talking about, well, people say, and I don't want to get into this debate, but on foods to eat, you know, if you look in the Old Testament, all the things God said not to eat, modern medical science will tell you that it's poisonous and toxic to the body. Yeah. But people will tell me, well, I don't, I don't have to worry. I'm saved by faith. I can eat whatever I want. I'm like, well, you know, you might hit the grave a lot, a little early. I'm not talking about your salvation. What I'm trying to talk about is the things God says for us to do are always in our best interest. But Frank, he put us here to, he put us, you know, I posed this question the other day to a group we were studying and I said, um, have you ever noticed how much food brings people together. And 
Everybody said, yeah. And a good friend of mine spoke up. Uh, Tuku is his first name. He's from Romania. He said, let me, let me tell you a little, a little uh, quote from Carl Jung, that famous, that famous uh, psychiatrist, psychoanalyst. He says, two dogs who eat from the same bowl won't bite each other. People who come together over, over food, they are, they, are, um, they are respectful, more respectful of each other. And the Lord brings us together for a purpose. Most people meet Jesus, not always, but most of the time, through another person. God has created, as I understand it, and this is my terms, a tapestry for, of each of our lives, and he weaves with his needle and thread, weaves us together. He strengthens us. We're called the body of Christ, and we're here on this, on this earth to be his ministers and to seek others to bring into that fold. So when you eat junky food, and believe me, I, I was experienced at doing that. I, I'm, I'm the world's sugarholic. And um, I was giving a presentation on sugar here uh, last year, and I introduced myself to the group, and I said, Hi, my name's Frank. I'm a sugarholic. And you know what they all said? Mm -hmm. Hi, Frank, because they knew. The world is full of sugarholics, but it's important what we eat. we got to step back and look at it, because we're here for a purpose. How do we serve the Lord to fulfill this purpose of of building this family that he's gathering together, that he wants to be with eternally, how do we help them if we can't think clearly or if we're in the midst of our own medical disaster? Yeah. And so taking care of the, uh, taking care of the temple of God, which is our bodies for believers, it's, it's very important. Yeah. You were just talking and, about it. And food will not save you. No, but the Lord gave certain direction in his word of things to do. And folks, we're not trying to get on a uh, how to eat or whatever like that. What we're simply trying to talk about is pride often blocks yeah. the great messages that God gave us when it comes to living. It's like the Ten Commandments. They are not just for us. They benefit your neighbors. If you don't covet your neighbor's wife, that's a blessing not only to you, but your neighbor, right? Yes, absolutely. If you don't steal, that's a blessing from you, for you and your neighbor. If you don't kill, do you see God did these things to not only help us, but to protect others. That's why there's laws in the land yeah. to do those things. And so I just, we wanted to share this with you tonight, just as uh, father and son, that are here, been blessed. My dad and I have both had our own uh, strenuous lives. We've both taken the wrong path at some point, but by God's grace, uh, he's brought us back together, you know, in 1999, really, and got dad had, had a conversion years before, and then I got converted and then ultimately got to see my own children give their lives to Jesus. And uh, we're, if you look at our histories all the way back to Frank Sr., okay, whose funeral we were at, and we're, remember in Texas, Dad, they were talking yeah, huh? about shootouts. I mean, it was crazy that he had been in. It sounded like the Wild West. He was, you know, a mess and a disaster. But then Dad and I got the pleasure of going in and meeting his pastor. And I remember him telling 
how your he dad said, you know he said you know frank um your dad has been seeking god and he used to he used to come in every now and then he says pastor max are you sure that god's got room in heaven for me and pastor max has said frank he's got plenty of room you just let him lead the charge and that was something dad and i didn't really know as well and honestly I remember crying, and all I wanted to know about my grandfather was I didn't know him very well because he left dad when dad was seven years old, left my grandma five children, and, you know, they went from having a good life to just dirt poor in Texas, Um, and and just he never came home. And and, um, so I knew him a little bit here and there. I met him a few times, but we never knew his relationship, and then he died uh, suddenly of a heart attack, and come to find out before his death he had been seeking the lord and and that's all i wanted to know yeah. Amen. that god was bringing the whole family home let me say something else about this too you know the the scripture says that the sins of the fathers are passed into the children under the third and fourth generation of those who hate me if you find yourself i mean if you find that your parent has been was living a a, a, a how do I a sinful life? Nah, it was living a life that you knew was they knew was wrong. Go to God and ask Him to reveal to you the sins that you have received from your father or your mother to reveal them to you so that you can repent of them. And that to reveal to you any sins that you have passed into your children. Because we witnessed it in our family. I have witnessed it in other families. I've talked to other people, and they have related to me. I have a very good friend who was uh, the oldest of five children, just like I was. And his mother was in the same situation. His dad took off, and he related to me how the same thing had happened in their family. The sins that their father committed, the boys were committing. And you want to go to the Lord and pray. This is called intercessory prayer. Lord... I want to bring this to you, and I want to repent of it. And for my child that doesn't understand, Lord, I want to come to you to repent for them, that you would lift this sin off of them, that they could gain a vision of what God wants to be for them. This is called intercessory. Remember, Job prayed for his children each day in case they had sinned. So, Dad, in 1999, I called you that day that the Lord saved my life. I was in tears. It was uh, something I, I, it was so incredible how I left the house strung out on crystal meth, the chronic adulterer. I got born again outside of a church coming home one day. I went to the house after I, I, you know, had my thing with my wife. I've shared in the past, you know, my story and my conversion. Um, But I, after the Lord, you know, came and, and, and we had, my wife said she wasn't going to leave me and, and, um, it would have been probably a couple hours since I came in the house. I got on the phone and I called dad and I said, dad, today I gave my life to Jesus and we were crying. Now I'd never known anything about hearing the voice of the Lord. I didn't know 
any of that stuff. I'm not even sure what I heard that day, whether it was audible or what, but it was so burned in my spirit that the Lord taught. And I said this to dad. I said, dad's like, God told me that I have answered your father's prayers. We had been praying a whole group of us at church have been praying for our children. And you were repenting for the sins that you'd passed down to your children. Yep. And God broke the curse on our family, a generational curse. I don't care if you don't believe in it. It's in the Bible there. And he broke it. And I remember I had was able to, um, you know, baptize at least my oldest daughter and then Sarah. And I remember after Sarah um, had expressed that she wanted to give her life to Jesus and I remember as I brought her up out of the baptismal water and I looked out onto everybody that was there and I was so overwhelmed. And all I could think of is that if God takes me right now, mission accomplished, accomplished. Yeah. everybody, my whole family were going in there. All of my, my father, my grandfather, myself and my children. And honestly, God could take me right that second, and I would have felt completely satisfied that he was so merciful to break the curse and stop the destructive generational behavior that had been on our family and turn things around. Now, it didn't come overnight. You all had been praying for a while. This had been going on. But you know what? They never gave up. And God was faithful. And folks, I want to encourage you, just because you don't see the answers to your prayers right now doesn't mean God's not listening. Oh, that's right. Sometimes he, he, he leads us through a path in life. Only the Lord knows the best path for us. And that path can include a lot of hardship, a lot of sorrows, but they are only for the purpose of bringing us closer to him, teaching us to depend on him, leading us through, I call the Bible, the, the, the doctrines of the Bible, the field manual to avoid the landmines of life. It's the field manual to get through life to the other side with Christ. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for joining uh, Dad and myself here tonight. Um, but we ultimately just want to point you to our heavenly father, which is our true father that is just and was willing to allow his only begotten son to pay the price Yes, that we could all be together in the kingdom. Folks, uh, this world is so fragile. It's so temporal. It, it's everything we do here could all change in one second of one day. Make sure you make it right with God, not tomorrow, but right now. This is Brother Frank and Brother Frank saying to everybody, good night and shalom. Shalom.
Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.